0: Welcome to River of Life's Wednesday Night Podcast with Derek Gray. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to visit River of Life Church this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Visit ROLCrawfordville.com for service times and directions. That's ROLCrawfordville.com. Now, let's join Derek as he teaches from the Word of God.
1: All right, good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing this evening? All right, well, welcome to our uh, Wednesday night Bible study. We are going through the book of Romans. This is our 40th lesson, our 10th month. We are about halfway done. Um, It's taken forever to get through Romans 8, but that's not because I'm slow or you're slow. It's because it's just such good stuff. So tonight we're going to be in verses 25 to 27, and I think you're going to be glad that you came. Um, the title of our lesson tonight is The Spirit Helps Us. Now, we've been off for a couple weeks um, for various things, so it was about three weeks ago when we had our last lesson, and in that lesson, we talked about suffering. We, we talked about the fact that we live in a broken world, that this, in this world, uh, wood rots, metal rust, food rots, our bodies are wasting away. It's all part of this system. It's what the Bible calls uh, the world being subjected to uh, futility. Now we're still on that that subject of suffering. And so as I as I wade into the verses tonight, I want to begin with by affirming three things that I believe the Bible teaches. Uh, with regards to uh, suffering, okay? There's there's plenty more, but I want to start with three. Number one, we are not exempt, okay? Believers, Christians, child, children of God, we are not exempt from suffering. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in Romans 8, 20 to 23, Paul said this, for the creation was subjected to futility, but not only the creation... But we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our uh, bodies. So he's saying, here we are, we, we're, we're groaning, we're waiting, we want out of this system because there's pain and sorrow and hurt and death and all of this. And so we are not exempt. You see, there are natural disasters, things like tornadoes and earthquakes and tsunamis. There are accidents like car wrecks and plane crashes, there's diseases like asthma and cancer, and then there's violence, things like robberies and school shootings, and the fact is we're not exempt. If a tornado or a hurricane hits a city like New Orleans, it affects Christians and it affects non-Christians. When that hurricane hits here, sometimes my house is spared, and thank God for that, right? But sometimes it's not, and I repair the damage and I move on. We are not exempt. We don't get some kind of of get-out-of-jail-free card in this life. We will experience suffering. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. Though our outer self, talking out about our body, is wasting away, the inner man is being renewed day by day. We live in a decaying and dying world, and we are subject to that world. Our bodies are subject to that world. Number two, the second thing I want to affirm is that deliverance is coming. Deliverance is coming. Paul says in Romans 8.21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul puts it this way, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There is coming a day, an age, when the children of God will be set free. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more disease, no more violence, no more accidents, no more natural disasters, none of that stuff. The planet will be set free and will be set free. But it hadn't happened yet. Okay, It's going to happen. It's coming, but not yet. Now... Here's the third thing I want to affirm, and I want you to listen to me very carefully. Christ purchased, demonstrated, and gave a foretaste of the coming deliverance. Now, what I'm about to say, I want you to listen to me very, very carefully, because this is a truth that is terribly distorted by faith healers and TV preachers of our day. Okay? So I want you to listen to me very, very carefully closely. So if you don't if you've never heard this before, hopefully this will set some of you of you free. I want to go to Isaiah 53. So it's a passage we're all very familiar with. It says this, "But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds or by his stripes we are healed." Now let me say this first. That passage tells us unequivocally for certain that the blessings of peace and forgiveness and spiritual and physical complete spiritual and physical healing were purchased for us by Jesus on that cross everybody got that that is that is absolutely a fact that is not even a question the question is when exactly do we get that healing when exactly do we get that complete healing? Everybody with me? The fact that he purchased it, that's a no-brainer, right? That's absolutely for sure. The question is, when do we get it? Now, many faith healers and TV preachers of our day make the assumption that that verse or that passage means that every Christian can expect healing every time for every disease. Okay? And by the way, if you make that assumption that that means you can expect healing for every disease today, when the healing doesn't come, and by the way, every single one of you here have at some point in your life prayed for a healing that didn't come, I can almost guarantee you. The healings sometimes don't come. Well, guess what? According to those preachers, when the healings don't come, guess what? The issue's not with God, the issue's with you. It's your problem. You didn't have enough faith. You didn't believe hard enough. You had sin in your life. You didn't pray good enough. Everybody with me? They heap guilt upon guilt upon guilt. It's not their fault. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. Because you didn't have faith. Now, I'm going to show you why I don't believe that passage means at all that every Christian can expect healing for every single infirmity and illness that comes into our life. And I'm going to show you why. There's a story in in Matthew 11. It's an incredible story. And let me give you the context for it. John the Baptist is in prison, okay? And he's in a dungeon. In fact, he's never getting out. Uh, He's going to have his head cut off probably in a few weeks. And he's sitting in that dungeon... And he's probably feeling sorry for himself. Now listen, John the Baptist was a great man. In fact, Jesus said there wasn't a greater man than him, but he was a man. He wasn't supernatural. He was just a man. And I want you to put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Here he is. He's, he's got this ministry. He's outside of Jerusalem and everybody's coming to him everybody's coming out of the city to hear him preach. He's baptizing them by the hundreds and and maybe by the thousands. Everybody's talking. I mean, he's in the heat of ministry, right? He's right in the thick of it. He's the one that gets to look at Jesus and say, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, imagine being him. And you're right in the thick of making an eternal difference. And boy, everything. And then one day you find yourself in a dungeon in a dark, rat-infested dungeon, and everybody's forgotten about you. Everybody's moved on. And you're thinking, what? <laughs> what's going on here, right? And you get frustrated. It would be perfectly natural, wouldn't it? You'd get frustrated. Maybe you'd start to have some second thoughts. So what John does is, as he's sitting in that dungeon, he sends two of his disciples to Jesus... And they said to him, Jesus, they said, John sent us to you to ask you, are you the one? Are you really the one? Now this is Jesus' answer to John. Jesus answered them, the two disciples, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Boom, drop the mic. What else is there to say? You want to know if I'm the one? Look at that. You want to know if I'm the one, if I'm the Messiah, the promised one of Israel? Dead people are walking out of their graves. You shouldn't have to say anything else, but he does. He's got one more thing to say. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Now, by the way, he's not switching subjects. You can go read it. He turns to his disciples and keeps talking about John. He said, go back and tell John what you see and hear. The lame get up and walk. The the dead are being raised. And by the way, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Anybody got any idea why he would say that? In fact, ask the question, why would anybody be offended at someone who raised the dead why would anybody be offended at someone who raised the dead i'll tell you why because he didn't raise all the dead as far as we know jesus raised three dead people in his lifetime he raised a little girl he he he, uh, raised the widow's son and and lazarus that's all we know about three people in his whole ministry Listen, he walked around Israel and Palestine for three years. He passed tombs, thousands probably upon thousands of tombs, and he raised three people from the dead. How about at the Pool of Siloam that day, right? Y'all remember the story, the Pool of Siloam? All the, all the lame people are, are trying to get near the water when the angel comes and moves the water. And guess how many people he healed? One. He told one man, get up and walk. Let me tell you why people get offended. People are okay with all the healing and all the raising of the dead until you don't do it for me. You see, John is sitting in this prison and all of a sudden he's he's seeing, man, all this stuff is going on, but look at me. Jesus said, don't get offended. Don't be offended. Are you with me? You see how easy it is when you see all that stuff happening, but what about me? Then you can get offended. And Jesus said, you see all this stuff? Don't be offended. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. So why is it... And now my thing's messing up on me. So why is it... All right, you're going to give me a minute here. And I'll get caught back up. Why is it that Jesus only healed a few? Why did he only raise three? Why did he only heal some people here and there? And I'm going to tell you the reason why. Okay? The Jews thought when Jesus came, they thought that he was there to, um, to basically usher in the kingdom of heaven, didn't they? They thought, boy, he's going to overthrow the Jews. He's going to come in here and he's going he's to heal all of our sicknesses. Our crops are never going to have any, any kind of blight or be bothered with lo- locusts or bugs or anything like that. He's going to bring in heaven on earth. Folks, that was never what Jesus intended to do. He was never here. What He came to do was to purchase that kingdom. What He came to do was to demonstrate what that kingdom would one day be like. See, He raised a few dead to demonstrate that He could do it and that one day He'll raise them all. He'll raise all those who belong. He healed a few people to demonstrate that He could But what he wanted to show was a foretaste of what his kingdom will one day be like. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more death, no more accidents. None of those things. See, that's why he did it. He came to purchase those things, but he never intended, never intended for the kingdom to be here now. He never intended to usher in heaven on Earth. All right, we've got to hold on a minute. Chuck, can you help me? Yeah, what you need? I don't know. It's locked up. I wanted them to see some of those slides. Oh, there we go. Okay, hold on just one second. All right. All right, great. Technology is great when it works. Who said that? I heard it all the way back here. I heard you, Lori. I got like a heckler in the audience. It's Lori White. So, so Jesus comes. Let's just rehash one more time. Jesus comes and he only raises three. Why? Was it because their relatives didn't have enough faith? No. Was it because they didn't pray hard enough? No. Was it because they had sin in their life? No. Once again, he didn't raise all the dead because that's not what he came to do. That's coming one day. He only came now to purchase that, demonstrate that he could do it, and give us a foretaste of it. That's what he came for. So again, he only raised some of the dead to illustrate that that's what he will do one day. Now, you and I, we continue to live, by the way, in this same age. And we we get to experience some of the benefits of the cross. We get to experience a foretaste sometimes, which, by the way, sometimes includes healing, but not always. It was never intended to be always. See, like I said earlier, I can guarantee you, if I ask people to raise hands, every single one of us say, I've prayed for healing and it has not come. Folks, he never intended it to be every time, for every situation, for every person. That was not his intention. Now, you may not believe me. Read the words of Paul. Romans 8, 23 and 4. Not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. Now, watch what he says. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? Paul is saying, if we already had it here on this earth, why would we hope? If we already had full and complete spiritual and physical healing on this earth right now, who hopes for what he sees? Who hopes for what he already has? We hope because we don't have it yet. But it's coming. It's coming. See the prosperity preachers and the faith healers of our day make the same mistake the Jews did. They expected Jesus to come in and, and institute heaven on earth, and they fail to understand what He came to do. And the, and the tragedy of it is they heap guilt upon guilt upon guilt upon guilt on the backs of, of, of believers when they're not healed, making it seem like it's their fault. Again, they're guilty of the same thing the Jews are. They're trying to force into this age what God intended for the age to come. So here we are. Here we are. We're living in this age. Uh, We are... healing occurs sometimes, but not all the time. Our bodies are failing. We're going to get sick just as part of this fallen world. We're going to experience accidents and, and, and all of these types of things. And so we wait, right? Believing that our redemption draws nigh. Now, that brings us to tonight's passage. Romans 8, 25 to 28. Now listen to verse 25. Paul says, if we hope, what are we hoping for? That kingdom, that heaven, that redemption of our bodies. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more accidents. None of those things. If we hope for what we do not yet see... We wait for it with patience. That's how we should wait for it. But we're like John. Sometimes we're not so patient because we're weak. We are sinners. And so sometimes we're not so patient. Now here's the good news, starting with verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. All right, make sure you hear what we're about to say. Tonight, we're going to look specifically at the role of the Holy Spirit in our suffering. And I'm going to ask and answer two questions, and let me read it first. Notice what this says, verse 26. The Spirit helps us when we're weak. When, when we don't understand what's going on, when we get frustrated and impatient and all of those things, the Spirit helps us to, uh, steps in to help us. Now, how does He help us? He helps us by praying for us when we don't know what we should pray for. Okay, And I'm going to show you how He does that. Now, these are the two questions I'm going to ask and answer tonight. Number one. When the Holy Spirit prays for us, what is he asking for? What is he what is he he's he's interceding for us. He's talking to the Father on our behalf. What's he asking for? That's the first question. Number 2, how does the Holy Spirit pray for us? Now, before I get into these two, I want you to know the number the first one is the most important. Okay? The second one is interesting, but the first one is most important. So let's don't get, before we leave here, let's don't get caught up in number two, because number two is the hard one, but number one is the most important. So let's look at that one first. What things does the Holy Spirit pray for us? Well, this is what, read those, you got to look at those verses, and you got to kind of read between the lines. The first thing it says, 826, he says, Likewise, or in the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. So the first thing it tells us is that in our life, there are certain times, certain situations, where we don't know what to pray for. Everybody got that? All right. Number two, Paul says that when the Spirit prays, and this is awesome, he always prays in accordance with the will of God. Let me tell you, you got God the Spirit praying to God the Father according to the will of God. Does anybody want to guess what's going to happen? He's going to be answered, right? You don't have any doubt. So when He prays for us, He steps in to help us, and He intercedes according to the will of God, it's going to be done. That should be exciting right there. Okay, now, we still haven't asked the question, what's He praying for? And I want you to think about what those statements imply. When it says the Spirit prays for things we don't know how to pray for, that rules out a lot of things. That rules out a lot of things. For example, if I open my Bible, I found all kind of things in the Bible that the Bible tells me I should do and that I should have. So the first thing you need to understand here is Paul is not talking about the revealed will of God in the Word of God. Or let me put that another way. If God has plainly told us in the Bible to pursue certain things, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, forgiveness, mercy, kindness, boldness, we know to pray for those things, don't we? That's, that ain't rocket science, right? Those are the things we, we... That can't be what Paul's talking about here. Because we know to pray for those things. So let's look. Let's ask the question from a different perspective. What don't we know what to pray for? What things are, should we pray for that we don't know we should pray for them? Well, to understand this, let me tell you guys something. Context always matters in the Bible. Be very wary of people that pull a verse out and preach a sermon on one verse. Because context matters. You have to look at what came before, and you've got to look at what comes after, and you've got to look at the context, okay? And in the context, this, this, this verb, uh, word weakness becomes very important. Go back to verse 23. Paul says this, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption. So Paul says we're groaning. Now, what are we groaning about? Well, the context is the futility of the world, right? The decay The the misery, the sickness, the pain, the death. In other words, suffering is what makes us groan, right? Suffering in this world, we groan about that. That's our our weakness. Now, listen, we all know that we should pray in our suffering. It, It is perfectly fitting that a child, when he's in trouble, should go to their father for help. That is perfectly fine. We should do the exact same thing. By the way, it is also perfectly fitting that a father should give a child what he needs, not what he wants. Let me say it again. It's perfectly okay that we should go to our father when we're suffering. But it's also perfectly fitting and right that our father gives us what we need, not necessarily what we want. You see, this is the issue that Paul is addressing. There are times when we're suffering that we don't know how to pray. And when I say that, when I actually put this out there, everybody here is going to understand exactly what I mean by this. There are times in our suffering that we don't know how to pray. And it's in those times the Holy Spirit comes in and prays for us. Okay? Let me, let me, well, I'll just put it this way I'm sick. Okay? I just went to the doctor and he just gave me a, a, a diagnosis and it's not good. Okay? I fall on my knees and I want to pray according to the will of God. What do I pray for? Do I pray for healing? Do I pray that that, that God will give the doctors wisdom to to treat me correctly? Do I pray for the courage to die? Which one of those things do I pray for? Anybody know? Because I don't. By the way, they're all right. They're, They're all good prayers. See, when we are going through suffering, sometimes we don't know what the will of God is in that suffering, and therefore we don't know how to pray. Everybody with me? Let, me? let me give an example. You know, I like examples. Let's say there's a missionary in a foreign country. Let's say he's in a Muslim country, and he starts to be persecuted. And he realizes, boy, this is dangerous. This is really dangerous. They, they could kill me. What does he pray for? Does he pray for a safe escape? Does he decide to stay and pray for protection? Or does he decide to stay and pray for the courage to suffer and die? Which one of those does he pray for? It's not easy, is it? See, the fact is, it's not wrong to pray for any of those things. None of them are wrong. But you and I, when we pray, we want to pray in faith. And it's hard to pray in faith when you don't know exactly what I should be praying for. Let's go back to my sickness. Maybe it's God's will that I'm healed and and bring glory to Him that way. Maybe it's God's will that I walk through this thing and bring glory to Him that way. I don't know which one it is. Therefore, it's difficult for me to pray. Let me show you two examples from Paul's life, and then we'll come back to this subject. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul had something that he called a thorn in the flesh. Okay, It was some kind of affliction. We don't really know what it is. It doesn't really matter. All we know is he thought, this thing needs to be gone. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away. Three times, take it away, take it away, take it away. And then finally, Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. See, Paul said, if you'll take this thing away, I can be a better preacher. I can be a better missionary. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way it works at all. He said, when you're weak, you depend on me. And when you depend on me, that makes you a better preacher and a better man and a better missionary. You're stronger with that affliction than you would be without it. But you notice Paul wasn't praying. He was praying what he thought Everybody with me? Take it away. Take it away. God said, no. No, it's my will for you to, to keep it. And, and Paul said, okay. That was fine with him. Let me give you another one. Philippians 1. Paul is in Rome when he writes this letter. He's writing it to the Philippian church. He's in prison. He's probably been in prison for two years. And he, he's, by the way, he's going to die. He's going to die there. He's going to be beheaded as far as we know. And this is what he said. He sits down to write this letter. and He says, If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet I don't know which one to choose. I'm hard pressed between living and dying. My desire, what I really want, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Notice what he said. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray for. I don't know which one I'm supposed to choose. He was stuck in a situation and he just wasn't sure what God's will was. Paul's point in our passage tonight is that when you don't know the will of God in your suffering, that is when the Spirit comes in and prays for you and brings God's will to pass in your life. Let me say that again because some of you should be shouting and you're not. When you don't know God's will and you don't know how to pray, that is when the Spirit comes in, prays according to the will of God and brings God's will to pass in your life. See, this is incredibly encouraging. In fact, I'm going to give you five ways you should be encouraged. Number one, you should be encouraged that you are never expected to know the will of God in every situation. You don't have to know the will of God in every situation. That's why the Spirit is inside of you. That's why the Spirit is called the helper. He's there for those situations when you don't know the will of God. He steps in and says, I'll take care of this, son. I got this for you. Be encouraged by that. You don't have to know the will of God in every respect. You When people go through suffering, they don't always know... What God is doing. But there is one who knows. He's called the Spirit and He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. Number two, be encouraged that in your weakness you're not being watched and judged, but you're being understood. I love that one. God's not judging you because you don't know the will of God. He understood that we're weak and pitiful and we needed a helper. And so He made provision for these situations by giving us holy spirit that should encourage us number three be encouraged i like this one that god's work for you is not limited to what you can understand and express with words god's not limited by your limitations you may not know what's going on you can't understand it you don't even know what to pray for you're frustrated god's not limited in your life because you've got the holy spirit who will step in and intercede for you according to the will of God and make sure that God's will is brought to pass in your life. Again, your not knowing what to ask for doesn't limit God's acting. He can do exceedingly and abundantly above anything you can ever ask or even think about. One more or two more. Be encouraged that in your weakness the Spirit of God is praying for you, not against you. And finally, be encouraged that God the Father always hears and always answers the prayers of His Spirit. Always. Okay? So, here's the question. What things does the Holy Spirit pray for for us? He comes into particular situations where we don't know the will of God. We don't know what to pray. And He comes in and intercedes for us according to the will of God to make sure that God's will is accomplished in our life. And God's will, by the way, is always to glorify Christ. It's always to glorify Christ. This is just a a beautiful thing. You see, even when we can't pray specifically because we don't know how to pray, even when we don't know for sure what God's will is in a particular situation, God has already provided for us, by giving the Holy Spirit to pray for us in our weakness. That is an incredible thing. And we're going to see, I'm going to show you, wrap this up right at the end. Number two, and remember, that one was the important one, right? This one's not quite as important as that, but we got to cover it. Number two, how does the Holy Spirit pray for us? Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought to. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The New Living Translation says with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? This is not an easy one. I can tell you what it doesn't mean. A lot of uh, 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 Pentecostals and Charismatics will say this is speaking in tongues. It's got nothing to do with that. Don't, Don't buy that. If Paul meant that this was speaking in tongues, he would have used those words. He didn't use those words. He used the word groaning. So it's not talking about that at all. So what is he talking about when he says he intercedes for us with groanings that can't be expressed with words? Well, remember, context matters. Go back to verses 22 and 23 where he's already used that same word twice. He says, we know that the whole creation has been what? groaning. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. So the creation is groaning. Now we are groaning. And now here in verse 26, he says the spirit intercedes for us with groanings. Okay. What do these groans represent? Well, let's go back to this. I'm sitting here sometimes and, and some of you will understand what i 'm about to say sometimes i 'm going through life, and I look around me, and I see a friend who 's suffering. I see a marriage over here that's that 's fallen apart. I see children that are being hurt and abused, and there is something deep inside of me that i can 't even english words don 't just don 't go. There is a groaning, a longing a desire to make it right. Just come, Jesus, make it right. See, if you're Christians, you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying it's there all the time, but there's just that, that there's this deep longing, this deep desire for this thing to be made right. This world, this planet, this culture, these, our marriages, our families, these lives. See, I think these groans, when, when we're groaning, it represents the deepest desires of our heart. Now, when it says the, the, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that cannot be uttered, I do not think, and this is my opinion, I don't think these are verbal or voiced groanings. Okay, I think they're groanings in the heart. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why. Number one is from experience. When I used to read this, I thought, okay, well, there's going to come a day when I'm going to get down in prayer and I don't know what to pray and these groanings are just going to come out. That has never happened to me. Never. And by the way, I've asked a lot of people that I know, and I say, has that ever happened to you? No, never happened to me. So I don't think it's a a common thing that even in prayer, in deep prayer, that people just groan. Everybody with me? I don't think that's a common thing. But that's not my main reason. My main reason is from Scripture. Look at Romans 8.23. It says, Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown what? Inwardly. we groan grown inwardly. It's not something we voice. It's, not some, it's something inside It's this deep longing. Then look at verse, uh, uh, Romans 8.27. Talking about God. He says this, He who searches what? Hearts. See, God searches your heart. It's not so much about what's coming out of your mouth. I'm not saying that's not important. But God looks at your heart. Do you really believe what you're praying? See, you you don't tell that from the words. You tell that from the heart. So I think these, these groanings, this prayer of the Holy Spirit, it's an inside thing. It's an inward thing. It's a heart thing. Now, I could be wrong. Okay? I'm not going to make a, a statement about it here today. But I think it's an inward thing. Let me show you what I mean. Go back to Paul. Remember those two examples we used for Paul? He had the thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times thinking, boy, God, take this away. And God said, no, you're praying wrong. <laughs> it's not my will for that to be taken away. And Paul said, okay. Another time he said, to live or die, I don't know which one it is here. I, I just don't know which way to choose. Go back to the thorn in the flesh. Paul prays, and he's praying wrong, by the way. God, take it away. And the Spirit, or Jesus, comes and says, Paul, that's, I'm not going to do that. You're stronger with the affliction than you would be without. Now think about that. Now think about the next time Paul is in a hardship. Okay, he's being persecuted, or he's sick, or he's in prison. Do you think he'd have a hard time praying? Yeah, because <laughs> the last time he was praying completely wrong. Is God going to heal me? Is it His will to heal me or not? Is God going to deliver me from this situation or not? Which way should I pray? Are you with me? But I want you to look at Paul's heart. Look underneath those things and look at the very bottom of who Paul is. Philippians 1.20, he said this, It is my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored in body, whether it's by death or whether it's in life. See, at the very foundation of who Paul was, there was a groaning, there was a longing, there was a desire for Christ to be glorified in his life. Whether it was by living or by dying, didn't matter to him. See, let me tell you folks, that is what the Spirit creates in us. The Spirit creates in us this desire, this groaning, this longing for Christ to be glorified in my life no matter what. If it's a healing of this cancer, hallelujah. If I have to walk through it in chemotherapy, I'll glorify you that way. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. I just want you to be glorified. You do it. And see, that's what the Holy Spirit does is He comes in and He prays the will of God for you. And this is the beautiful part, so that whatever God's will is in that situation will come to pass. You don't have to worry about it. He's taking care of it. It's an amazing thing. Listen, our weakness in this world will always include some ignorance about the right way to pray. You are, there are always going to be situations you just don't know the will of God in that particular situation. Now, does everybody please understand me? If you go to the Bible and the Bible says, do this, that's the will of God. I, you'll hear me say this sometimes. A young lady may come up and say, Hey, should I ma- will you pray for me about marrying this young man? And I'd say, well, is he a believer? No, well, then I'm not going to pray for you because the Bible already says, Do not be unequally yoked. I, why would we pray for that? He's already told you what to do. There's no sense in praying for that. And I could, I could go situation after situation after situation where there's no need to pray about it because he already told you what to do. But there will always be situations in our life where we are ignorant of what to pray. We just don't know. Now, that doesn't mean we don't strive to know the will of God, but you should never expect to know it completely and infallibly. We're just too weak for that. We're never going to know that. Yet, even in those moments, even in those moments when we're weak and sinful and impatient and frustrated, the Holy Spirit steps in and He prays for us. That is an incredible thing, which leads us, by the way, to one of the most incredible promises in the Bible, and that is Romans 8.28. Now, we're going to get to that, not next week, next week's Vacation Bible School, so you get another break from listening to me, but when we come back in two weeks, we're going to spend that week on Romans 8.28, but I want to introduce it tonight, but I want to tie it to verse 27, because I want you to see it in context. Paul says this, the Holy Spirit is praying for you according to the will of God. And he says this, and he who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So here's a situation. I'm sick. Okay? Whatever situation. Let's say I've been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I, I fall on my knees and I don't know God's will. God, is it your will to heal me? Is it it your will for me to walk through this thing? Is it your will that I die of this disease? I don't know what your will is in this situation. And in that moment, when we don't know how to pray, Paul says the Holy Spirit steps in and intercedes for us according to the will of God because he knows what God's will is in that situation. And when he prays, God answers. So here's the beauty of this. No matter what happens, I know it was the will of God. Are you with me? I didn't miss it. Do you know how easy I could miss it? God won't let me miss it because the Holy Spirit steps in and prays according to the will of God. Therefore, whatever I go through, I know it's the will of God. Now look at verse 28. And now, and because of that, we know... That for those who love God, say it with me, all things, the healing, the chemo, the dying, whatever it is, all things work for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things work for good. God has a will for your life. And he is making sure that as a Christian, that will is coming to pass because the Holy Spirit is praying according to his will, even when you don't know how to. And because of that, if you believe that, I can walk into any situation and I can know this is the will of God. The Holy Spirit's already taken care of that. This is the will of God. It may not be a good thing happening to me, it may be a bad thing, but all things are working together. For my uh, good. Listen, we'll be back in two weeks. Romans 8, 28. What a verse. What a verse. If you can make it back, please do. I don't know if we'll be one week on it or two weeks on it. I'm not sure. But uh, I would encourage you, don't miss it. Because that verse has, as many in here can probably say, that verse has has made a profound change uh, in our life. Let's pray. Father, as always, Lord, we love you. We thank you for Romans 8, what an incredible chapter. We know there are some deep things in here. and But I just want to say thank you tonight, Lord, that, uh, for the Holy Spirit. That even when I don't understand everything, the Holy Spirit is inside of me and he's interceding for me. He's creating the longings and desires in me for the will of God in my life. And Father, I know that you are guiding and directing because of that. Not because of me, not because I'm perfect or I know how to do everything or I know what the will of God is, but because the Spirit is helping make sure that I'm walking according to your will. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, I know we were talking Sunday about this. I know we don't give the Holy Spirit enough credit. And that's because he's always talking about Jesus and he's always pointing to Jesus. But I think we all want to say tonight, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for being in our life. Thank you for walking with us and teaching us and guiding us and giving us wisdom and and helping us in all the multitude of ways that you do every single day. We give Jesus glory because of you, but we say thank you. We say thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as always, um, if you need prayer, I may not have a clue what to pray for. (laughs) But we'll invite the Holy Spirit to come pray with us, and, uh, and that'll be an awesome thing. No, seriously, if you need prayer, uh, the Bible says if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. You should be doing that, right? We talked about that on Sunday. This, I, I'm, I'm glad you're here, right? You're doing exactly what you need to do before the Lord comes. You are plugging in. You're getting with brothers and sisters. You're edifying one another, encouraging one another, building one another up, praying for one another, exhorting one another. It's exactly what we should be doing. So don't just, if you know, take time to fellowship, take time to make relationships. Uh, if you need prayer, please, we'll, we've got several of us up here, we'll help you uh, with that. And as always, if you have questions, don't leave with those questions uh, unanswered. Uh, just come ask and I'll be, I'll be glad to help. Thank you all. You are dismissed. Thank you again for listening to the
0: River of Life podcast. If this message has touched you today, Or if you need someone to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.